I don't know about you, but I can say there are certain, certain things that I have favorites of. One of the things that I like are uh, fountain pens over regular pens. I enjoy fountain pens. I collect fountain pens, and I've got some very nice fountain pens that were given to me. I've got three different Mont Blanc fountain pens, and I've got some Quaco German-made, just more like pocket pens. They're not very expensive, but I enjoy them. I don't like big pens. I, I don't like them. You say, well, Pastor, you can get a big pen for a dollar and you're going to pay a good amount. Yes, I know, but there's something about writing with a fountain pen on the paper and hearing it as it scrawls across the paper and the ink comes flowing out and beautiful colors and it's just, it's nice. I like fountain pens. They're, they're my favorite. Certain kind of nibs that I like on the fountain pens are my favorite as well. There's some gold-tipped nibs that are a little bit softer and then there's some steel nibs that you can use every day that really don't matter as much when you write with them. And more people can write with those kind than with the gold-tipped nibs, things like that. Then there's also the dipping quill pen that I've got. I've got a glass one. And, oh, man, that's just great. I enjoy it. But you've got to continually dip into the ink with that. But that's a whole lot better than a big pen. But I got my favorites. I like certain kind of pens. Oh, I like... I've got my favorites in ties, too. There's certain kind of ties I like. There's, there's uh, one particular tie that just ties phenomenal. I'm not saying you have to agree with his politics, but Trump does make a good tie. <laughs> and and his, his ties tie very, very well. And uh, I, like, I like those ties. I, I don't like just any old tie off of... I, I like those ties. I've got a... Some of those ties. You can get them pretty cheap, too, depending on where you go. You can go to, like, uh, Marshalls and Target, or something, not Target, but Marshalls, and what's that? Home Goods, and, or not Home Goods, TJ Maxx, they, they got that. See, it's good. I don't know these. Uh, Burlington Coat Factory, I think. You can get them there, and you can find them there, you know. I like some Joseph Banks ties, too. This is a Joseph Banks tie. I won't pay their prices. I wait till they go on sale. I look straight for the clearance, you know, the $1.99 deals. But these tie pretty nice, too. I like them. So they're my favorites. You know what? There's nothing wrong with having favorites when it comes to inanimate objects. Because these weren't made after the similitude of God. These weren't made after the image of God. A pen isn't made after the image of God. But there's a major problem in Christianity if we are playing favorites with people. If we, if we prefer one uh, type of person over another, if there is partiality or prejudice towards one group of people over another... You can have partiality in pens. You can have partiality in food. Man, there's some foods that I like. I love Italian food. Man, that's nothing better than fresh pasta, homemade pasta, with a nice, good gravy. It's not sauce. It's gravy. And anybody that knows pasta, my wife, she's part Italian and, and part Jewish. She's got more Italian in her than I do. The only Italian I got is in my nose. It's right here, and you can see it, all right? But she cuts her pasta. That's like sacrilege. You don't cut pasta, you twirl it. And you get a spoon, you twirl it, or you just twirl it in your bowl. You know, I like pasta. I like Italian food. I like Mexican food. I like Oriental food. There's not too much food I don't like. But once again, it's okay to have favorites that way. You might have your favorites. There might be favorite things that you like to do. 
But once again, when it comes to favoritism or prejudice, you might be partial towards something. When it comes to that in Christianity, there's no place for it. See, favoritism is never compatible with the Christian faith. And I mentioned to you this morning why. The reason it's never compatible or prejudice is never compatible or, or partiality is never compatible with the Christian faith. Why? Because it's never compatible with God. And what we learned this morning, and one of the things that we need to remember, if we're going to keep from the sin, and yes, let me capitalize that, S-I-N, because it is sin, if we're going to keep from the sin of partiality or favoritism or prejudice, we must remember or put the safeguard up of the character of God. We saw that first thing today. That was the first thing that we looked at was this morning. You know the character of God. And we went through that. We went through uh, that God is no respecter of persons. I, I showed you that he was impartial in his judgment and he's in, impartial in his love. And both those things we studied out this morning, so I'm not going to rehash them. But we need to put up safeguards as believers in our life because I believe favoritism or prejudice or partiality, whatever uh, a word that you want to use, can creep in to our lives if we're not careful. But I want you to take a look this evening at the second safeguard that we are to make sure that we have in our life. Not only must we have uh, the, 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 you know the character of God, but secondly, you must remember the illustration of Scripture. You know, it's a good thing for us to be able to remember Scripture. And the only way that you can remember Scripture is if you read Scripture and you know Scripture. You can't remember something that you've never been taught. You can't remember something that you've never read. You can't re remember something that uh, nobody has ever told you or you've never studied. And so we must remember the illustration of Scripture. And we come here into James uh, uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, and we still see the illustration that James gives. And he gives the illustration to help us understand what prejudice or favoritism or partiality looks like in the church. Take a look at James chapter 2 and verse 2. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth a gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Both these men, from what I can see from this text, were not believers. And the reason so is he doesn't call them brethren. He just says that if, if they're coming to your assembly, a man, a man. And most of the time when James is addressing Christians, he always used the term brethren. And we see this throughout this chapter and throughout this book that he uses the term brethren. And so from what I can gather, I do not believe that in this text these people are believers. If you say, well, pastor, I see it a different way, feel free. I'm not going to fight you over it because the principle is still the same. But these are men who come into the church to be able to see and hear what's going on. And the other thing that I noticed that is notable about um, neither one of these men, neither one of these men, now listen to this, were asked to leave the church because of the way they were dressed. Neither one of these men were asked to leave the church by the way that they were dressed. These men, I believe, that are, they're unbelievers and that they, they need the gospel. See, the issue, this portion of Scripture, is not talking about their dress. 
There is no one saying, well, since you don't have a suit and a tie on, or, uh, and you can't come in here. This section, uh, this section of Scripture is not teaching about dress. It's sad to say, but I can remember back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s where I've heard of churches where because a certain person or a certain group of people came dressed a certain way to church that they would ask them to leave. They couldn't come in. I, that's nonsense, folks. Saved or unsaved, people are here to be able to hear the gospel and there's a process of growth that needs to take place in the life of people who are saved and maybe uh, those who don't know Christ, they don't know. And James here, I find it interesting, they were not asked to leave, they were just both welcomed. And James wants us to remember the illustration of how these two men were treated. First, I see uh, the man from Wall Street. That's what I call this rich man. He was the man from Wall Street. The first guest is a man that had money. If you said to him, show me the money, he could show it to you. I mean, money was no issue for this man. The Bible says that he had on a gold ring and goodly, or we would say this, we would, the Bible used the term gay apparel. We would say good apparel or really fancy apparel. I mean, when he walked in, he was... A real sharp dresser. The reason James mentions this is because if you were to study the customs of the Jews and understand their history and some of their customs, you, were, you would find that rings were commonly worn at that, uh, at that time. But gold rings were not as common because of the expense and this man enters the church and some com commentators state that, that he was the gold finger man. He was the gold-fingered man. Some commentators believe that this guy had a gold ring on every finger. Whether it's one gold ring or whether it was every finger covered in gold rings, the point is that the man's wealth was very apparent by the way that he dressed. Nobody, nobody would question his economic status. He was also, not only was he uh, dressed with, with gold rings, but he was also dressed in very good clothing. The word for goodly means it was bright or shining clothing. It could also mean it was clothing with loud colors or glittering, sparkling, or brilliant with uh, ornamentation. Let's just say it this way. When this man walked in the assembly, everybody's head turned. I mean, they noticed this man. He, he was not one that would be just be able to blend into the crowd. He stood out. And he was on display, and all his wealth was on display for all to see. That's the man from Wall Street. But then there was the man from Skid Row. You see, remember the illustration of Scripture. There's the man from Skid Row. The second guest, he enters the assembly, and the Bible says that he entered with vile raiment. Many times when we look at this portion of Scripture, we think, oh, well, this man just had some old clothing. No, it wasn't just old clothing. This man's clothes were not just old and worn, but this man's clothes, when it says vile, it means his clothes were filthy. It's pretty likely that this man worked in the clothes that he came into church with. He probably slept in those clothes. He wore these, he wore these clothes every day because they were the clo only clothes that he had. 
this is the type of man that the world would avoid. He didn't look clean because he wasn't clean. He didn't smell clean because he wasn't clean. And from a financial standpoint, he had nothing to offer. He was needy and everyone knew he had needs. What I find interesting is the way that sometimes Christians act is when we see somebody that could, we'll put it to you this way, that could benefit us, we're attracted to them. We'll hang out with them. We'll spend time with them. We'll invest in them. We'll go places with them. But isn't it interesting, when we find somebody that's needy, what do we do? Most of the time, when we find somebody that's needy, it's not the first person that we rush to. It's not the first person that we would want to hang out with. See, this man would be the type of man, that's why I said from Skid Row, because most of the time when we look at this passage, we just think that this man just doesn't have a lot of money. No, this man smelled. This man had some serious financial needs. This man probably, if he prayed at all, had to pray his meals in. This wasn't the type of man that people would want to sit to next to in church because of his smell. He was a man from Skid Row. But you know what I found? That all of us are like one of these two men. And I'm going to tell you exactly which type of man you are and which type of man I am. We're the second man. We are all the second man. We are all the needy man. We're not the one that's well clothed. Oh, maybe physically. But spiritually, every single one of us, when we came to Jesus, we came filthy, we came stinky, we came with nothing, we came with all our needs, all our baggage, all our sin, and guess what he did? He accepted us the way that we were, but he didn't allow us to stay that way. See... Isn't it interesting when we have needs, we go to other people to, have the, to help us get those needs met, don't we? We'll talk to other people, we'll talk to our mate, we'll talk to a girlfriend, we'll talk to a, a guy friend, we'll talk to a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, pastor, whatever. Because we have needs that we want to be met. And there's nothing wrong with that. But how would you react and how would I react if there was somebody like that that needed us? Oh, couldn't offer the church anything. Couldn't do anything for us. Oh, the church would like to see that the rich man come in because, oh, I mean, we got a budget to meet. We, we got bills to pay. You know, maybe if they come, they got some prominence, maybe they can get some of their other wealthy friends to be able to come in. But you know, if the guy from Skid Row comes in, we better be careful because he might start bringing some of his friends. There might be some people that would come in that are of ill repute. I mean, we might have some 
some of his friends that would come in and some of his friends might be female and they may not look the way that they should look for church. Hmm. Let me ask you. When you go to the hospital, do you go when you're healthy or when you're sick? I've never known anybody to go to the hospital and say, hey, I'm going to go to the ER. Well, why? Because I feel great. I'm just, I got to rush into the ER because, man, I just, I, I just feel so good. I, no, you go to the ER. Why? Be, oh, man, I'm getting this throbbing pain in my head, this back. Oh, I'm, I'm breaking out with hives or I don't know. I, I can't, I feel sick to my stomach. And you're rushing off to the hospital. You're doing whatever you got to do to get some attention. Folks, last time I checked, the church is a gospel-stationed hospital to help those that have needs. And by the way, all of us are the needy man, and all, none of us ever grow out of our needs. We just know how to clean up pretty nice. See, the way that you safeguard yourself from prejudice or favoritism or, or partiality is that you remember the illustration and take a look, let her see here, the main issue. Take a look at the main issue here. If you're in the high, uh, habit of marking your Bible, mark that word in verse 3, and, and, and ye have respect. Mark that word respect. Maybe circle that or highlight that to him that weareth the gate clothing. And then he goes down in verse 4 and he says, Are ye not then partial? You might want to mark that in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts. Now James gets to the heart of the issue and it's the motives of the heart that James deals with. I want you to turn over to Leviticus because James could have had this portion of Scripture in mind when he wrote this. I can't say that he did. But he might have had this portion of Scripture in mind. Turn to Leviticus chapter 19. And I want us to take a look at Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 15. Leviticus 19, 15. The Bible says, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness... Shalt thou judge thy neighbor? You say, well, pastor, why is James dealing with this? I think that's a good question. Why is he writing to these Christians and talking about this? First, because the Jews like to be recognized. You know what? Though that was part of their culture, most people like to be recognized. And they liked the prominent places. Matthew 23, 6, 6 says this, And loved the uppermost rooms at the feast and the chief seats in the synagogues. They loved the prominent places. See, they thought that maybe, just maybe, they could influence this rich man and maybe possibly ride on his coattails. And they thought that this kind of guy is the kind of guy that we need in our assembly. 
But I believe the other reason why James is dealing with this issue here in this text is because it's an issue that we all deal with because we live in a fallen world. The issue wasn't that they gave a good seat to the rich man. That wasn't wrong to do that. It was wrong to do that, though. The issue was that the rich man and the poor man were not treated the same way. There was favoritism. There was prejudice. There was partiality. It was all based on the physical appearance of one person over another. The Bible says that they became judges of evil thoughts, basing how you treat somebody on the outward appearance. John 7, 24 says it this way, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. The point is that you and I, we don't need to judge people outwardly. We must remember that there are souls that need to be saved, that need a savior. And if we're not careful, we'll judge people on their outward appearance. We'll judge people on the color of their skin. We'll judge people on the type of their dress or fashion. We'll judge people on other superficial things, maybe the car that they drive or that they don't drive. And if we're not careful, we can fall into this sin. This is not Christ-honoring, and there's no place for this in the life of the church. So if we're going to safeguard against favoritism in our lives, we must know the character of God. Secondly, you must remember the illustration of Scripture and let me give you this. Safeguard number three. Your favoritism acts contrary to Christ. Remember, your favoritism or your prejudice or your partiality acts contrary to Christ. Hearken, my beloved brethren, verse 5 of James chapter 2. Had not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? Your favoritism acts contrary to Christ. How does it act contrary to Christ? Well, letter A, if you put this down. Christ came to the poor. Christ came to the poor. Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. The Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I want you to turn over Luke chapter 5, if you would, please. Luke chapter 5. And I want you to take a look at verses 29 through 32. Your favoritism acts contrary to Christ. Well, how or... Why, does, why, does that, why is that contrary to Christ? Because Christ came to the poor. Luke 5, verse 29, And Levi made a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. But the scribes and Pharisees, the religious people, the church-going people, murmured against the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Listen. You know the group of people that Jesus and his disciples were, quote-unquote, hanging out with, were thieves? That's what the publican was. They were known thieves. They were known sinners. 
Well, how did the, 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 the religious people know that they were known sinners? By their lifestyle. Their lifestyle, their lifestyle gave away what type of person they were. The religious people were saying to Jesus and the disciples, why, why, why do you eat with them? Why do you have them over to your house? Why do you invite them to different things at your place? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they, they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ came to the poor, the marginalized, those who the world doesn't want anything to do with. Know what the sad thing is? Not only does the world not want anything to do with them, but many in the church don't want anything to do with them. Pastor, don't, don't you know that if we have those kind of people, you know, the walls are going to get dirty. Th things aren't going to be as clean around here. Well, we'll have to hire more people to clean the buildings, I guess, but where there is no ox, the stall is clean. Better to have a dirty stall with a fat ox, right? Than to have a clean stall and no ox at all. But I can't help but think, why did Christ come to the poor? I can't, this is just maybe human thought, human reasoning. Maybe Christ came to the poor because the poor miss out so much on this life. They can't enjoy many of the finer things in life. See, we got to remember it's not this life that counts, it's the next. And Jesus went to the poor because many of the poor, they know that they're needy. Not just physically, they look around and they see all the sin and degradation. They may not know what to call it. They may call it just evil or they might call it mistakes. But they look around the way that they live. They look at their neighbors. They look at the community that they live in. And they're, 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 they're just, something's not right here. They know that they have physical needs. But I believe that they also, when they're presented with the gospel, they see their spiritual needs. I remember when I was in Bible college down in Florida... Me and a friend of mine, we would do door-to-door -door visitation. We would go and we'd knock on doors and we would try and share the gospel with people. But we didn't go to where everybody else went. We went to the very affluent sections. We went to Ortega. We went to the high class sections and we went there on purpose I don't know how many hours I spent and how much shoe leather I put on the, the pavements of uh, that Jacksonville area knocking on doors and inviting folks out to church and trying to share the gospel and you know what I found that I was met with a lot of resistance the reason I was met with a lot of resistance was because the wealthy they didn't need God. They told me they had money. They had power. They had influence. I also worked a bus route. 
And the bus route, we went into the slums. Do you know what? Though there were some that still didn't accept Christ as their personal Savior, they knew that they needed the Lord. They may not have submitted to the Lord, but they knew that their life wasn't working out well. See, they had nothing. We saw kids saved. We saw, uh, I'm sure, families saved and those type of things. But the simple fact of the matter is that I think Christ came to the poor because the poor, the marginalized, they can see their need. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Safeguard, your favoritism acts contrary to Christ. Why? Because Christ came to the poor. And secondly, letter B, your favoring the rich makes no sense. James basically tells us here, your favoring the rich makes no sense. Verses 6 and 7, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? The Bible says that when we favor someone over another, we're despising them. This is to act in total contradiction to our Lord and the way that we were saved. See, if we, if you and I, if we despise those that were around us because they're poor, it just doesn't make sense. Think about it. Jesus became despised for us so that we no longer had to be despised. You know, if God despised us, all of us would be lost because we're all poor without Christ. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This will be our last verse for this evening. Favoring the rich makes no sense. Why? Because they're the ones that says that oppress you. They're the ones that have the money to be able to sue you, draw you before the judgment. They're the ones that able to harm you, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. See, it makes no sense, and it's totally hypocritical on our part. Those of us who were despised, those of us who were poor, to despise the poor, to marginalize the poor, the, vile, the, the skid row, we talked about that, the skid row type of individual, to favor the rich at that time were to favor those who were persecuting the church. It would be like this. If we were to uh, create, maybe we'll say a football team for Open Bible Baptist Church, we'd be the Open Bible Brawlers. Okay? I don't know if that's a really good name for a church, but hey, if we don't win the game, make sure you win the fight afterwards, right? I mean, that's what my dad always used to say to us when we were coming up in high school. That's a joke. 
But we'd be the open Bible brawlers or whatever. Or maybe beavers might be better. That's a little bit nicer than being the brawlers. But whatever. And we had a game plan. And then maybe the Calvary Baptist bees were playing us. And man, we wanted to win. This is a championship game. We wanted to win. Man, we, we had all our guys, man. They were, they were all ready to go. They, they, they won all the games in there at the championship game. We're all ready to go. But then say we had coach. Say, Brother Booker, you're our coach. And we got around Brother Booker, and he said, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. And he gave us the game plan. And he said, hold on just one second. We're all excited. Man, Brother Booker, man, he put together one of the best game plans we ever said. We're going to be able to wipe this team out. Said, hold on a second, guys. And we see him walk over and take our game plan and all our plans and give it to the coach of the other team. You would say, Brother Booker, have you lost your mind? What are you doing? We want to win this game. Yeah, I know, but they got some really nice looking uniforms. Their uniforms look better than ours, and I'm hoping maybe their sponsor will now be our sponsor. What? I mean, maybe we could recruit some of their players over to our team. What? That doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Now we're going to lose the game. You know, that's exactly what James is saying. It's just like when you show favoritism towards someone else or prejudice towards someone else or, or partiality towards someone else, guess what? You're giving the Christian game plan over to the enemy. You say, well, what's the game plan? It's the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And when you're showing favoritism or prejudice or partiality towards someone else, you have given the game plan, if you will, to our enemy, which is the evil one. And, it, and, he, try, and he will try and destroy everything that we're trying to do here. See, guess what? God created people a certain way. And people can pick up on if they're really loved or not. People can pick up on if they're really accepted or not. People can pick up on if they're part of the group or not. That's why Open Bible Church, we shouldn't have any type of cliques around here. I remember as youth pastor, and I'll close with this. When I was here as youth pastor, teenagers have a, a thing Usually teenagers don't migrate and they have their cliques, right? We talk about that with teenagers, but that's no different than adults. We blame teenagers a lot, but when I was, when I was youth pastor, one of my goals were to come in 
and bust up clicks. I want it to be like the, the, the Christian Chuck Norris. You know, come in there, you know, I'm going to bust up these clicks. And so then what I would do is I would sit certain people by other people, say, hey, why don't you come over and sit here? And sit because why was that? Because I wanted that visitor who walked through the door that may not look like, smell like, talk like, act like, be like us to feel just as welcome as the kid who grew up here. Here, just since I'm, I'm on this, look, church, <clears throat> do me a favor. I know that all of you have your favorite seats. <clears throat> but if there's a guest sitting in your seat, don't you ever say anything to them except for welcome. You say, well, that's my seat, and I've sat there for 23 years. Look, the only way that you can get your seat, if you would like to give me $100,000, we will put a placard right here, and guess what? That's your seat. Because I know where that $100,000 is going. It's going straight to that parking lot. All I need is five of you to do that. I need about $500,000. And you get five, five families in this church. You can have your seat. And then if a guest comes in and sits there, we'll be like, I, I will personally come up and say, I'm sorry. This is the so-and-so family seat. And uh, let me direct you up to the very front. This is my seat, and you can have it. <clears throat> Playing favorites. If we're not careful, the sin of prejudice, partiality, and favoritism can creep in. We're gonna, we got to put safeguards up. We got to. This is something that we have to work at. Because we are so prone to judge on appearance. We are so prone to evaluate. I mean, we're getting in our mind. We don't even think about it, but in our mind, it's automatically happening. And we've got to remember the character of God. Know the character of God. Remember the illustration of Scripture. And then your favoritism, remember that your favoritism acts contrary to Christ. May we be a church that doesn't play favorites. But then no matter who walks through that door, that we welcome them with open arms. This evening you say, well, Pastor, you know, we're Baptists. We always give an invitation at the end of the service. We do. And that's just what we do, and I don't apologize for it. But I'm not asking you this evening to come and confess some sin. I, I don't know if this is a sin that you might struggle with in your life. All of us struggle with sin, right? All of us have besetting sins. That's what Scripture says. You say, then what are you wanting us to do? I want us this evening to just pray, whether you stay in your seat, whether you come forward, to pray that we would keep these safeguards in our life so that we would love like Christ loves. I want, to, one of the things that I would like to be known for is not only the church that preaches truth. Unequivocally, we preach truth. I, I want to be known for that. But you know what? Too many churches are known for what they're against. I want to be known for what we're for.
I don't want to be known in the community, well, that church is against this, and it's against this, and it's against this, and it's against this. I want to be known that, you know what, if you want to hear truth, you're going to hear it at that church. But you know what else I want to be known for here at Open Bible? That, man, it doesn't matter who you are. They don't care who you are. You are just welcome there. You are just loved there. Wouldn't it be great if our community knew us as the church that loved everybody? But too many times, churches are known for what we're against instead of what we're for. So may we come together tonight and just spend some time in prayer and ask the Lord, help our hearts to be soft like that, Lord. Convict me, Lord, convict me when I'm starting to, even subconsciously, starting to judge somebody by the way that they look or the way that they act or the way that they talk or the way. Lord, would you bring these things to my mind?